everyone. Welcome to Dig Deep. We are concluding our series today called Wounded Healer, and I am so excited to introduce you to my interview guest today. Her name is Aubrey Sampson. She is an author and a speaker. She and her husband, Kevin, are church planters in the Chicago area, and they have three young boys. She's the author of an incredible book that I just read recently called Overcomer, and I had the opportunity to meet Aubrey in person, and she is so amazing. You are one of the most down-to-earth, incredible people I've ever met. And so thank you for agreeing to do this today. Aubrey, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Jeff, thanks so much for having me. And I love, love meeting you. It was an honor to get to spend some time with you whenever that, I guess that was in May, but I'm excited to be here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of those things when I met you where I felt like I had known you my whole life and it probably had something to do with the fact that within like 10 minutes, you were asking me if you had anything in your teeth, which (laughs) I was like, I love this girl. She is so real. She keeps it so real. We just met. I was like, she is, she's the real deal. So you are just awesome. I think that was the same day. I just before going on stage, I had to run back to the bathroom and pick my underwear out of my butt. So that's me. You know, I'm as human as they can. Which is one of the things that I just totally loved about you. And then I got your book that day and just devoured it. And it is amazing. And that is why I've asked you on the show today. Overcomer is the name of the book. And in this book, you talk about shame. And I wanted so desperately to include this topic in the Wounded Healer series, because the whole premise of this series is that there are wounds and deep pain and suffering in our lives. And that one of the ways that we find healing is by sharing that with other believers. And it helps us find freedom and healing, but it also helps them find freedom and healing. And that is exactly what you've done in this book by being open and honest and vulnerable about your own shame in your past and then helping people find freedom in the truth of the gospel and finding freedom from shame. So I'd love to start our time by just having you introduce the topic of shame and and tell us what your sort of working definition is of shame. Describe that a little bit. Yeah, that's a really good question because shame is one of those really complicated emotions where sometimes I like to think of shame on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you can feel shame when you're embarrassed, your cell phone goes off at the wrong time, you know, or something like that. But then on the other side of that spectrum, we feel shame when we have been abused or we have been abandoned or we have been, you know, deeply humiliated or criticized by someone that we love. Shame really does exist on that scale. Um, the way that I like to sort of pinpoint shame or to get down to the root of shame is Anytime you feel like in whole or in part, you are not enough. That feeling of not enoughness, that is really the root of what shame is. Wow, that's so good. Yeah, I love the way you describe that in your book and and explain that it is. It's such a complicated monster. It's so, it creeps into every aspect of our lives. And I think you quote Brené Brown pretty early on too, saying that shame creeps its way into pretty much any aspect of our lives that it can show up in our parenting, our motherhood, body image, family, work, mental health, addiction, like everything, just this long list of the ways that shame can take different forms and creep in and hold us captive and cause us a lot of pain, ultimately. Yeah. I, you know, I even have a, a really good friend of mine. I, I can't remember if I tell this story in Overcomer or not, but I tell it a lot when I speak. 
she called me one time and she said, you know, Aubrey, I really need to talk with you. I'm dealing with shame about something. And we went Mm -hmm. out for coffee and I thought it was going to be this very kind of deep, intense conversation. And we ended up sort of laughing at the table because she was talking about how she went to the dentist and she had five cavities. Yes. And it's a silly thing. But even at the dentist, you don't realize that like at the dentist, at the gym, at the grocery store, at church, you know, these shame creeps up. And sometimes we don't even realize we're living under the weight of it, but it's a really oppressive emotion. It is. And that, I mean, I have experienced dental shame, not personally, but as a mom, because I, I felt like my kids had pretty good dental hygiene, but they, I just sat through my son having his second round. He had eight cavities. And so he had four done. He had four done like on one side. And then it was a separate appointment for the other four. I was, and I was so ashamed. I didn't want people to know that. I thought they're going to think that like my children just eat hard candy and I never brush their teeth. And so absolutely it creeps into, it can creep into every single aspect of our lives. And then in the book, you do something that I just think is so fantastic because you help people sort of break it down. It can feel like an overwhelming Mm. challenge, an overwhelming monster. And you use this metaphor of a house and about deconstructing a house of lies versus demolishing, just demolishing the house. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that means for you, what, where that came from? Yeah. You know, I think, um, like, you know, people who know construction, right. You know, that there's different ways to demolish a house. There's detonation, there's what, like a wrecking ball, bulldozing. But then as we see a lot lately, if you watch, you know, HGTV or any of those shows, there's kind of this trendy technique where um, people are deconstructing or they're reconstructing. Right. And it's where you're carefully tenderly dismantling, you know, elements of a house or elements of a dresser or a table or something like that mm. in order to reclaim and repurpose the valuable and beautiful elements. That's so good. And to me, that's just this perfect, perfect metaphor for the work of overcoming shame, because some of us have really difficult child wounds yeah. or even um, difficult young adult wounds or even difficult present wounds if we're adults now. Um, but we don't have to just completely destroy those things. They don't have to own us. They don't have to imprison us. But we can um, see that God repurposes all of those even awful things in our past into something beautiful, into something whole, into something unique, into something redemptive. And that's why I sort of like that image, because I think that is what God does. He He takes the beautiful, um, gentle um, valuable pieces in us and, um, like raises them instead of just destroying the whole picture. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, that's what I love about it is it's not, the goal is not to just try to erase some thing from our past or some chapter of our lives where shame maybe started or has its roots in that season of life. But there are beautiful things that, should be preserved and even beautiful elements of the healing that should be preserved instead of us just trying to demolish the whole thing, but to, to deconstruct it and then reconstruct it so that God can use it for his good purposes too. And that's, that's part of what I love about your book is that you do that with your own story, helping to offer freedom to other people. And that's one of the beautiful ways that he's redeemed your experiences is by allowing you to share your story and help other people experience freedom. And so there's beautiful things in the midst of the pain. And I just absolutely love that. And so you say that that house you, um, is made up of seven lies. Is that right? Seven lies. 
Yep. Seven lies. Seven lies of shame. Yep. Seven lies of shame. And then um, I don't know if you want to do a brief rundown of all sure. those lies or some of those lies and then maybe focus in on one because I love the way in the book you just you call the lie out and then you counteract it with truth and help people figure out what the next step forward is. So give us an overview of what those lies are and, um, and how to combat them. Okay. Yeah. I'll just do those real quickly. I kind of, the seven lies that I go through, and obviously there are more lies of shame, but these are the ones I identified in my own life and in talking to other women. The first lie is I will have more value if I am other. Mm. Um, The second, I cannot experience freedom from shame. Uh, The third, my past is unsalvageable. The fourth, I have to fight shame alone. Mm. The fifth, I am not good enough to be used by God. The seventh, shame is experienced only in traumatic situations. Mm. And then the seventh lie is the goal of overcoming shame is to never encounter it again. Mm. Um, and wow. so the, some of the truths that I, you know, we can, we can um, hone in on one of these, but just an overview of the truth. I talk about yeah. how we are created in God's image with exceeding worth. God is able to evict shame from our life. God helps us release the shame in our past. With the help of our communities, I can courageous, we can courageously overcome God transforms our shame into radiance and our misery into ministry. Mm. Shame is in the mundane. It's not just in the trauma. That's what we were talking about. There's a bright side to it. And then true victory from shame is in the willingness to continue fighting against it, Um, which I know can sound overwhelming, but I really do believe that the more you fight back, the more power God gives you over shame. And I've seen it in my own life for sure. Oh, that's awesome. I totally agree. Well, I don't know if you want to dig into one of those. I mean, I, as you went through each and every one of them, I do want us to talk about the um, commonplace shame that you describe. We can chat about that yep. in a little bit So, because I, de- I definitely okay. want to cover that. But um, I don't know if you want to talk just about the first one. That one really, you know, struck me. And I know I've experienced that, you know, that that I will have more value if I am somehow other. And it's yeah. just such a powerful one. Maybe it's especially so for us as women, but I think for everyone too, that we just struggle with that idea that if, if something about me was just a little bit different, then I wouldn't be feeling this shame. I don't know if you want to talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, you're right. It's true for everyone. I think for women, it's, um, starting startlingly true. I think the statistics are something like 80%, 80% of Mm. women over the age of 18 are unhappy when they look in the mirror. That to me is heartbreaking. Um, but like you're saying, it's this idea that, you know, if we could change something about our looks or our weight or our talents or our careers or whatever, our mothering, um, then somehow we'll be valuable, right? Or then somehow we'll have achieved whatever this elusive thing is we're trying to achieve. And, um, you know, I, I have, I have three sons, Hmm. but I've got friends with daughters and they're telling me, I mean, these are girls under the age of 10, right? That they're already asking, what does it look like to go on a diet? Somebody at school said that I was chubby and, um, it's just heartbreaking to me, the shame driven culture that really impacts women. I, um, I think I quote this in the book, but I was reading an article once that it said when future generations look at Facebook, they'll wonder where all the women went Mm. because, um, you know, I think, I do think I'm seeing this change, but for a while you weren't seeing, you were seeing moms put pictures of their kids as their profile or of their husband with their kids, but you weren't putting pictures of yourselves with your kids. You're ashamed of how, you know, time had changed our bodies. That's so true. Um, but I think that the truth is that the longing to, um, 
you know, the longing to feel beautiful, the longing to experience beauty, that is a longing from God. That's not mm, necessarily right. a negative thing, right? Um, yeah. Because what we're crying for is like soul satisfaction and we're crying for something that only God can provide. And honestly, that's Jesus. That's right. Um, And I think this, um, like this obsession with appearance and youthfulness and this homogenous image of beauty, it becomes idolatry. Yeah, We begin to worship, you know, whether or not we're going to admit it, it's true that we worship at the altar of beauty instead of worshiping the one who created beauty. That's right. Um, and so I think this is, again, the amazing thing about God is that he can restore those foundations, put beauty in its proper place. Like, I don't think anyone has to be embarrassed about wearing makeup or fixing their hair. I mean, I'm coloring my hair. I'm almost 40. Like I'm going (laughs) to keep doing that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but we can laugh about the obsession. We can remind ourselves and each other daily that we are created in the image of God and your specific appearance, your specific skin color, your specific um, age, your specific gifts and talents are designed by God specifically to bear his likeness on this earth. And um, only you are the one who's able to do that. You know, you can't do it like anyone else does it. And so I, I just love the fact that God designed us with love to be his image and to belong to him instead right. of belonging to shame in even our like beauty appearance struggles. Does that make sense? It does. It's so good. And that, that part really hit me because, you know, my oldest is a girl. We have, we have four mm. and, the, and she is eight and a half. And, you know, my husband now is really getting on my case after having my fourth kid, you know, my body, it's gotten harder and harder to bounce back every time. And there's certain things that's like, okay, there is no going back for this particular region yep. or whatever. <laughs> and that's yep. fine. Um, and so he, you know, I've, seen myself be a little bit more critical in those months, mm. you know, where it just, it's that post baby body stuff. Yep. And he was really getting on my case about anytime I would mention anything about it, the way my clothes fit or, you know, anything about my body in front of our daughters. And he was like, you mm. cannot do this. He was like, I, and holding me accountable to that. And I, I love that he wants to fight for that for them, but it's hard for me to remember. And so I really have tried to grow in that area for the ways that I demonstrate this for my daughters, because it is, it's so, it's such a problem. I mean, I, even though I know that it exists, it's a constant battle against it. It's not, I wish I could just make it go away and be like, I'm totally satisfied with my body and that's fine. And, right, but, right. but it's a constant fight and I have to use that truth to, to speak that into my life, you know, again and again. So that part I just loved. I thought that was so, so good. And then I want to, I do want to talk about this part because it just made me laugh out loud so hard. And when you talked about commonplace shame, and this has probably yeah. been, I mean, I loved your whole book. This, this one has stuck with me this section, that chapter has stuck with me more than the rest of it, I think, because you, you say shame isn't only found in traumatic experiences, um, though it, it, it is, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, but that often there's something called commonplace shame. And you tell this hilarious story of being in the grocery store with your kids and getting into a little bit of a war with a checkout lady. And I was like, this is my life. I have done this. I have been here (laughs) minus the Mickey Mouse sweatshirt or whatever you're wearing. But I was like, this is so my life. I've had that guy in the parking lot, like stop and ask me, 
this is a real, this is a true story. A guy stopped and I have all my kids like climbing all out of the cart and at the target parking lot. And he stopped and said, daycare or all yours? Like with this attitude. And I said, all mine. And I tried to fake a smile and he just went, hmm, and walked away. And then for real. So I'm already feeling like the hot burn, you know, in my cheeks and just feeling embarrassed. And and part of it was my youngest was trying, she was like choking on the belt because she's trying to climb out. And so like, it was quite a scene. I finally get my kids in the car and my son, who's like two and a half at the time, clearly has something in his mouth. And I'm like, oh Lord, what is, you know, the rock, the normal pebble or whatever. Right, right. A cigarette butt was in my son's mouth. And I I was so ashamed. I was like, I am the worst mom on the planet. Like I can't even, where did he even get this? Like, and he picked it up while I'm, oh, so I, I totally (laughs) relate to that, that that commonplace shame that we feel as moms Mm. or as, as women just generally where we're like, I can't believe I made that mistake again. Like I, I've made Mm. that mistake since I was a teenager, like that stupid Mm. relational error or, or just some dumb, you know, fuming thing in the supermarket or whatever it is. Um, so what should we do with this commonplace shame? Cause I think we, that's something we all experience. Yep. It's always at the, um, it's always at the grocery it store. Is, it is. It like. is. It is. Yep. It's always at the grocery store. So I think here's the beautiful thing about these awful moments, right? Yeah. Is that they can teach us a lot about something called shame triggers. Yes. And then, um, even just that, I'll talk more about that in just a minute, but even that simple, um, acknowledgement, like, okay, I'm feeling shame right now. Even just mm-hmm. acknowledging shame. Cause what we want to do is we want to run from it. We yeah. don't want to face it. We don't want to feel like that bad mom in the parking lot at the grocery store. Right. Um, but simply to say, all right, I'm feeling shame right now. Yeah. God help me. Um, that's a powerful step in fighting back against shame is just acknowledging it. And I think, so um, these, these sort of like mundane moments of shame, they provide opportunities for self-reflection. They provide opportunities for emotional growth because you can stop and you can say, okay, I'm feeling that, like you said, that hot burn in your cheeks. That's such yeah. a great image. When have I felt this before? Yeah. Why am I feeling this right now? Uh, why is this um, feeling familiar to me? Did I feel this when I was a child? Yes. Did I feel this, you know, in some other experience of my life? And the amazing thing is you can make that emotional discovery and then God can really use that to heal and to sanctify and to change and to renew you. Yeah. Um, and that's the, you know, the beautiful thing about God is that even shame cannot remain as shame in him. He uses those mundane experiences at the dentist, at the grocery store, we lose our temper, we lose our cool. Um, and he does transform them into something really meaningful for us and, um, really can kind of become keys that set us free from shame. And so it's not fun and it's not like it's never going to stop happening, but God can uh, redeem even those little moments, you know, as we learn from them and as we sort of recognize, all right, here's shame again. What's going on? What's this pattern in my life? That's right. I mean, they can be such an opportunity for emotional and spiritual growth, like you said. And I just had this opportunity happen the other night where we were uh, having dinner with a couple that's like one of our our best couple friends, and something just came up in conversation. I have this one particular like personality flaw where I am terrible with details. Like I, I was see. I feel like even that's a cop out to say that. I, I. <laughs> 
I never read instructions thoroughly. That's not never, but <laughs> almost never. And it is a problem. Yeah. And I have seen it in my life, you know, whether it's putting together a piece of Ikea furniture or reading detailed <laughs> instructions about a class or a syllabus or whatever. Yeah. I have to force myself to, to do that. And I, I often still don't, no matter how I've been working on it for years. And just in the course <laughs> of normal conversation, something came out that made me realize that I had completely misread some important instructions that were related to something at our church and had in not reading those instructions carefully made a relational error. And I felt so embarrassed in the moment. I just felt embarrassed and they were kind of aware of it. And, you know, we laughed about it or whatever. And then for the next 45 minutes, I was so horrible to my husband Mm. in that conversation. I was being mean. I was borderline making fun of him, which I may, I try so hard to honor him in in, when we're with other people, when we're alone. And I was just being horrible to him. And finally he, he kind of stopped and he's like, you're being horrible to me. Or I don't remember (laughs) what words he used. I mean, in front of these friends and, and he was right. And I had to apologize to him. And I realized later, you know, reflecting on this principle from your book, what I was feeling was shame and it was coming out in the form of anger because I am ashamed that I am a grown woman and I still have this stupid adolescent fault that I am, that I've tried to work on and I still, still screw up in this area again and again and again. And what I was feeling was shame, but it led me to do, to hurt other people. And that's, that's where this is, I think so powerful is you, you give people those questions, those tools, like just, you said, just to ask yourself, just to say what I'm feeling is shame. Like you said, that alone, just acknowledging that in my heart made me realize I already took a huge step toward healing the situation and apologizing to my husband. But then beyond that, you know, when have I felt this before? Did I feel this as mm-hmm. a child? And mm-hmm. those questions just help take away shame's power and make it possible to move forward. And so I just, I just love that section so much. Oh, thanks for shame, saying that. Shame I think triggers. that's the other thing too, is we often like there, it, it sounds a little silly, but I think it's really powerful and profound. There is a little girl or there is mm-hmm. a little boy inside that when you feel, you know, triggered by shame. And like you said, on the surface, you're mad at your husband, but you're not mad at your husband, right? You're feeling shame over this situation that happened, but partly there's like a little girl who needs some tender care and who needs some healing and who needs to know, like, Mm. it's okay to make mistakes, Jess. It's okay. Little girl, Jess, that like, you don't do everything perfect all the time. You know what I mean? Like, so I think sometimes that's the tender work that God allows us to do is go back to the little girl or the little boy inside who just needs some like very tender, tangible care to say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, and so I, I love, I love hearing you tell that story because, you know, you just see God at work, even in the yeah, pain. That's right. Yeah. And, and allowing healing to take place for healing to be possible, which is just so, yeah. so encouraging. So, so now I'd love to transition a little bit back towards some of the, you know, the, the deeper, darker sides of shame, that end of the spectrum that is just so scary, because I think the reality is there are people listening who are suffering under the hand of shame and maybe have never talked with anybody about it, about something that happened years ago. And the way that you communicate in your book, I mean, even in the first chapter, you have to know, Aubrey, I, you made me laugh out loud and made me cry, like Mm. actually cry because you're so vulnerable and honest about your past experiences. And 
and like I said, as we're concluding this series, Wounded Healer, you know, this whole series is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, which says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts mm-hmm. us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And that is Amen. what you do in, in this book. I, I felt that from you. I felt like in your in the comfort that you've received from God, that you were comforting me in the areas of my life that have been burdened by shame of all kinds. Mm-hmm. And so to someone who's listening, who is living under a an oppressive weight of, of deep shame, what would you say to them to encourage them? Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll try to be somewhat brief about this, but a little bit of my story, which I write about in overcomer is that when I was 13 years old, I was sexually assaulted on a school bus. And then, um, a few years later, because of the, the shame I experienced for the first time, at least that I can remember on that bus, few years later, I was in an um, abusive relationship with an older man um, yeah. when I was still a minor. And so um, I buried those two really intense experiences of shame and abuse for years until I was actually a few years into my marriage. Wow. Um, and I honestly didn't, um, I mean, you hear this sometimes about victims of trauma. I honestly didn't even realize I was bearing them. I just didn't think about it. I didn't remember. I think my subconscious was protecting me, um, until I sort of had to face things because the shame in my life was impacting my relationship with my husband, Kevin. It was impacting my relationship with my friends, with God. And it, it took, I mean, my book is all about the work that God did in my life to help me overcome. But I think the reality is this, even though not everyone wants to talk about it, one in four women are the victims of um, completed or attempted sexual assault in their wow. lifetime. Wow. And I have been in rooms where it is one in two. Wow. Um, and I know that sexual trauma is not the only shame that's out there, but almost every woman can remember a time when she was either... Um, touched inappropriately or looked at inappropriately or talked to inappropriately by an older person in her life or criticized maybe. I mean, there's also secondhand shame that can be really deep where you're criticized by someone in your life again and again and again until it begins to feel like it's true, even Mm -hmm. though you know that person is not accurate. Um, And so this is what I would say to you. Um, You know, my favorite verse, and this is what the book is based on, is Psalm 34, 5, those who Mm -hmm. look to God are radiant their faces are never covered in shame. And radiant is an image um, word in Hebrew, and it means to beam with joy, like to beam with shining joy. Mm. And I believe that through the love of Jesus, and I believe this firmly, that even the darkest, deepest, most horrific places of shame, when we bring them to God, and it takes time, I'm not saying this is easy, this takes time and it takes work, but he can remove that dark covering of shame anything you've experienced, and he can transform you into a radiant woman of God. I have seen it in my own life. I have seen it in other women's lives and men's lives as well. I mean, I write to women, so I'm talking about women, but um, there is nothing that God cannot redeem and restore and bring healing from. They do say that sexual shame is one of the most difficult things to find freedom from, but I know that it is possible in Jesus. And I guess I just... 
Um, if that's you and you're listening, I guess I want you to know one, you are not alone. I want you to know that what happened yeah. to you was not your fault and you did not deserve it. I want you to know that that is not what God intends for you. And yet I believe that God can just break right into that dark spot and he can bring healing and hope and restoration so that you live in the freedom and the radiance that is yours in Jesus. Oh, that's so good. Aubrey, thank you for, for sharing that. And it is mm -hmm. so true. I mean, if you are listening and that is your your story and that is what you are fighting against in your life, to find women that you can, in community with, um, share about what you've experienced or seek um, counseling. Um, and yeah. if even if you're not ready for either of those, a great first step would be to get Aubrey's book and read it um, and, and then take steps from there to figure out how God wants to give you that freedom so that you can experience that, that joy of being radiant um, and and being free from the weight that someone else placed on you, and that's yeah. what's so tricky about shame is that sometimes it's mistakes that we've made, regrets that we have in our past that lead us to feel shame. But mm -hmm. shame can be placed on us by someone else, and that is powerful. The fact that somebody can do something to us and burden us with shame for our whole lives. And that is not what you were intended for. God wants to give you freedom from that. So, yeah. well, Aubrey, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story um, with us today. And then so vulnerably in your book, I do want to encourage everyone listening to go get a copy of Overcomer. You can find it anywhere books are sold. You can get the Kindle edition or hard copy on Amazon. I mean, it's everywhere. And yeah. you need to read this book. It is just so, so good. Especially, I mean, if you know that shame is an issue for you, please, please, please read this book. But even if if you're like, I don't know if I really deal with shame, I promise you, you do. I, I felt that way <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I really think we all do. And I was surprised as I was reading it how much shame plays a part in my life. And that was um, a really, really good thing for me to realize through reading it. So I hope you'll all pick up a copy of that book. And then Aubrey, I don't know if you have any other closing thoughts that you want to share with us. I just feel like this time has been so rich. You've been so, so amazing. Anything you want to share in closing? Oh, thanks, Jess. I love talking to you so much. I think, you know, something that I always say to, um, to groups that I speak to is that, um, you know, there are steps to overcoming shame. And I think that they are really powerful steps. And those steps are in my book. And so I, w I would, along with Jess, say, grab the book, even if you don't know if this is a struggle for you, yeah. grab it. If it's a struggle for a friend, grab it and read it on behalf of her and then pass it on to her. But yeah. um, we overcome shame most powerfully because we have a Savior in Jesus who has overcome shame for us. That's right. And so when we feel like we are not enough, the reality is that he who is more than enough has overcome our shame and he is the one who makes us radiant. So um, if, I, if you could hear anything, yeah. hear that. That's so good. Oh man, Aubrey, I just cannot thank you enough for sharing on the podcast today. I just love how authentic and honest you are. And I know that your words will be an encouragement to anyone who's listening today and will help them take a step toward um, freedom and the joy that Christ wants us to experience in him. And so to all of you who are listening, please do pick up a copy of the book. Like I said, you can get it anywhere, Overcomer by Aubrey Sampson. And if you want to stay in touch with Aubrey or look her up, Aubrey, would you just tell people kind of the best ways that they can look you up? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love catching up with people. My um, website is just aubreysampson.com. Really simple. You can find me on Facebook. I have an author page there. It's Aubrey Sampson. And then if you're on Twitter or Instagram, I'm at aubsamp, A-U-B 
S-A-M-P. And um, like Jess said, the book is available on Amazon. It's on Christian Books. It's on Barnes & Noble. And basically anywhere you buy books, you can find it. Yeah, awesome. Well, I do hope you'll all take her up on that and stay in touch with her and get a copy of her book. Aubrey, thanks so much for agreeing to do this and being here today. It's just been so much fun. I just think you're the best. So thank you. Oh, I think you're the best, Jess. Thank you so (laughs) much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And to all of you who are listening, thank you so much for tuning in to this series, Wounded Healer. There is no new episode next week, but then the following week we are diving into the fall with a brand new series that I'm really excited about. So I hope that you'll come back and join us for that. And until then, remember to dig deep. 